What's up, everybody? On this episode, I interviewed Sean Harris, Big Sean Harris, as he's known on Twitter. He is a professional basketball player, and he played in in college at Utah State. Um, Sean is part of the Meme Factory as well, so I wanted to get him on and talk about the origins of him in Bitcoin and and how that got him into uh, the Meme Factory, uh, because he actually, the reverse repo market back in 2019 is what got him focused on Bitcoin and really, you know, into it and then um and then once he got in he started to do some memes and you know we all know what the meme factory can do and there's just tons of memes flowing out on a daily basis and also they have their podcast and everything but uh but yeah sean also gave me some insight because i wanted to know where do some of these memes come from for example we all know what fu greg is everybody sees it on bitcoin twitter um but i have no idea where that started so uh sean it gave me some insight onto that. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode. I really enjoyed my conversation with Sean. Thanks to our sponsor, the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet from Shift Crypto and Movies Plus. Go to mymoviesplus.com or search Movies Plus in the App Store and you can watch The Great Reset and The Rise of Bitcoin documentary on there now. Reach out to the show, Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks. Hope you enjoy the show. Well, we first met on Twitter Spaces. Because me and Guy Swan were doing one, and then you jumped in, and like you and Guy Swan had shared a, like an Uber or something, and you know it was like. So yes. then I started following you then, uh, and I I saw the big fro from college. <laughs> you don't you don't still have that big fro, do you? Or no, well, that'd no, be like a flat top, so, right? Yeah, it used to be a flat top. Now it's just uh, not just the curls on you know, hair. So no, no more no more flat top. It was too much to maintain. yeah yeah, i I understand that um so you know for those of you for those that don't know i'm sure a lot of people know who you are um and have heard your story but i mean uh you know so you're an athlete and uh you know kind of get back into the origins of that uh you know what did you start with what was your what was your sport because obviously you're a basketball player now but uh you know like i think you know sean calkin was like got a basketball scholarship when he was pretty young and then ended up in the NFL, you know? So, so where, where, <laughs> yeah. where did you start out? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I always played basketball. I have three older brothers. My oldest brother, he, he like, he played ball. He was really good. And then, uh, and my other brothers too, were they're, they all played in high school and stuff. And so I always wanted to play and I, I'm from Sacramento, so we had the Kings out there. And I grew up when it was like, well, when I first remember, it was like Mitch Richmond, which probably not many people even know who that I is now. That name, yeah. But he was a baller. And then, uh, and then there were, then I was there with like the Jason when Jason Williams was there, and then he got traded for Mike Bibby, and Chris Weber was there with Pedro Stojakovich, Vladi Divac, and they Vladi. were like, yeah, it was like Kings in their prime. And they so, just never got over the hump. No, they, they, they were fighting against the Kobe and Shaq Lakers and also Tim Duncan and the Spurs. And then they're also going up against Tim Donahue, who was betting against the Kings as a referee. So that, that hurt yeah, yeah, well. that's, that's right. So, I forgot that was the Kings that was, uh, that he was betting against. Yep. Um, so we got, we got robbed of a championship, but that's fine. It, yeah. Uh, there's a, there's this hockey, uh, writer from the Pittsburgh area. He covers the the penguins and um i think there's a lot of like sports writers that do this i notice sports writers will really become fans of like different soccer teams or whatever yeah because like they it's hard for them to be 
fans of the sports they cover, you know, or like American sports. Um, And so I don't know if this was the origins for him, but he, you know, we don't have an NBA team in Pittsburgh. So maybe he like was like, I can follow the NBA and like get into a team. And so he's like a Kings fan and he like goes out and like there's a group that he meets with and goes to Kings games with like other Kings fans from around the country that wow. like just like got into them. What was that? Like l- late nineties, early two thousands, whenever they got like when they were at their peak. Yes, um, yeah. 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 That's, I mean, you don't find too many Kings fans anywhere. So especially in, in Pittsburgh, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And then you're, I mean, cause you've got what you got golden state a couple hours away. You got yeah. the Lakers a couple hours away. So and, it's and the Clippers too. Yeah, that's right now. The Clippers are doing something. You know, the Clippers were a joke whenever we were little. You know, <laughs> like yeah, they always had some ballers. Like they always had some players that were really good on their like just some just randomly. They always had some good players. So even if a team sucks, but they have like one player who's good, then you can be like, oh, okay, I'll watch the game because maybe this player will be fun. Maybe he might score forty points tonight or something. Hmm. Um, so I got, we brought up, you brought mentioned Kobe and Shaq. Um, and before we get on to, to other stuff, I'm curious being in the professional basketball realm, what was it like whenever Kobe died? Like, I mean, cause that kind of cast the pall over like, like everybody, you know what I mean? He was like an icon that like everybody knew, but like, I don't know, did that hit weird? Did that hit a lot differently to like players? I mean, especially cause you know, like I remember the hockey team in Russia, maybe seven, eight years ago, like their plane crashed, you know? Yeah. And it's like stuff like that. I feel like hits weird for like hits a lot different for players. So was there like a different feel amongst you guys? Like, Oh my God, you know, we travel in the air all the time. You know, this is a legend. Doing yeah. What doing. I don't. So honestly, when he, when that happened, I think that was in January of 2020. Um, I wasn't even playing basketball professionally back then. I took two years off. And, uh, and I just recently came back. So, but I just remember what it felt like for me, it was just kind of surreal. I think it was the same for everybody. Cause you, you just don't think a guy like that is going to die so soon. I mean, he overcame every injury, Achilles injury, you know, like anything that happened to him, he's playing with like a broken finger, shoulder pop out, whatever. It didn't matter. And so a guy like that just always found a way to overcome it. And you just thought that he was, he was just like so above everything, had so much money. And, uh, and then you just, you kind of get like, you come back to earth when things like that happen, because you're just like, wow, this life is really short. Um, Like anyone can die at any time for any reason, like like just flying in a helicopter and getting a helicopter crash, you know, it's kind of crazy how that happened. And um, so I think it was more just like you thought Kobe, like at the time people were calling him a living legend, you know, so mm-hmm. now he's dead. And uh, and it just uh, it feels weird because you thought like he would be a living legend for a long time. And then, boom, just like that, like he dies. And so yeah. you don't you, I don't know. You just don't see that happen. Like you hear about people dying and whatever, but you don't hear about like someone that popular dying that young for you know in something like a tragic accident. Yeah, like if if anything, it usually would happen to like musicians and it would be like drugs, you know what I mean? 
like yeah, somebody yeah. who like gets immortalized at that younger age. Like you never got to see them, you know, get old, you know, and like, yeah. you know, turn gray. It's, it's a, uh, it's surreal. Um, yeah. And so speaking of, you know, living, living, you know, life being short and everything that kind of will play into the basketball and then also into Bitcoin eventually as we talk here. But um, so you played and you made it, where did you play? You played Utah state, right? Yeah. Yeah. In Utah college. State. Yeah. The Aggies. Okay. And what, what the, uh, what conference are they in? Is that the Mountain, the Mountain West? West? Yeah. Mountain West. Okay. So, yeah. So you, I mean, you played big time college ball. What was the, what was that like, you know, coming from high school to all of a sudden, you know, you're, I mean, who, who do you play against? Who's in the Mountain West? So you have uh, UNLV, San Diego yep. State, uh, Wyoming at the time was really good because they had Larry Nance mm. and, uh, and a couple other guys are really good. Um, just a lot of teams, Colorado State, Boise State, all the, yeah. all those teams. What was that like uh, a big uh, shock whenever you go to like your first college game? And because, I mean, I played college hockey and we didn't play in front of like big, you know, we didn't have the big crowd. So I always wondered, like there was a couple games where we played in front of like decent sized crowds. And I was like, whoa, like I couldn't imagine this on a regular basis. Yeah, it's fun because like when we would when we would play, especially because I had the flat top, too. And I had, so I had gone through two ACL surgeries before I started playing at Utah state. So my playing time wasn't like my last year. That's when I finally started to get more playing time. So I kind of like saw a lot before I actually started even playing. And I was used to traveling with the team and like seeing the big crowds and in Logan at Utah state, I think it's, it seats like 11 or 13,000 people, something like that somewhere between 11 and 13,000 people and, and like this, the Utah jazz in Salt Lake city. So that's about an hour and a half drive from Logan. So it like, you're in a college town and, uh, and it would fill up basically almost every game. And so that was a lot of fun to just be at those games when it's just packed with fans. And then you go on the road and uh, you know, New Mexico, New Mexico was really fun to play at because it's called the pit and like you mm-hmm. literally come into the stadium and you can just walk down and it's just like even walking from the locker room to the court just the hallway to walk to the court is super it's just so long and it just goes straight down <laughs> and uh we and like the fans are right on top of you at all these games so you're sitting on the bench and and like having this orange flat top that i had I was always, always a target for trash talk. And I didn't mind it because I like tra- talking trash and I still like talking trash. And, uh, and maybe that's what makes me a good memer. Cause I, I, I don't mind it. And, um, so we would, we would go to these places like a pit, for example. And I remember, uh, not pit, but in the pit at New Mexico, I remember yeah, Pitt, by the way, is the college I went to and Greg Zadge, uh, your buddy failed out of twice. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, genius, he's a genius, but uh, he's his geniuses aren't always meant for. Yeah, for they're always meant for college. But anyway, sorry to sidetrack you there. But uh, so you're going into the pit. Yeah, we, we played there. And I just remember like there was specifically our last game, uh, my last game that I played there. And uh, it was just packed. The whole crowd was going crazy. And it was a close game, too, the whole game. In the second half, we were like, we would score, we go up by one. They would score, they go up by one. 
And, uh, and I remember uh, they ended up scoring and the crowd was going insane. And we passed the ball and like, we had a guy who passed the ball in bounds, but our coach had called a timeout and the point guard, he's getting full court pressure from the guy guarding him. Our coach called a timeout and all three referees are blowing their whistles. And our point guard doesn't hear the whistle blow because the fans are so loud. The guy wow. guarding him doesn't feel the whistle blow either or doesn't hear the whistle blow because it's so loud in there. All three referees are blowing the whistle. And uh, he's dribbling up the court, going left, going right. <laughs> you know, the guy's all up in him. Like, like, like the game is still going on. And then you got four guys are going to one bench and four guys are going to the other bench. He gets across half court. He looks up and he sees everyone's going to their benches. And then like, oh, <laughs> you know, like that's how loud it was. And uh, awesome. those, those are always fun when you can just play in an environment like that. And uh, especially, and we won that game too. So when you can come away with a win in, in a crazy environment, it always feels good. Yeah. And um, so now, so you played after college, did you go straight to Europe to play pro? Uh, kind of, I was, so again, like I, I had gone through the two ACL surgeries and uh, I didn't have the stats that I thought reflected my game coming out of college and it's hard to go, it's hard to go to Europe or go overseas anywhere and play basketball as an American because most teams only allow, you know, there's certain leagues that only allow two Americans on a team or one American or or three or four, but like you still have to have the majority of your players have to be from whatever country you're in. It's not like the NBA where it's just like whoever we like whoever the best players are are gonna are gonna be on the team and they can play. So if you're an American playing overseas, you have to like to be on the team, you have to be like the best player or one of the best players. And if not, then the team will be like, well, why do we have, why are we paying him? We should need to get another American because like one of our local players could do what he's doing. So, mm -hmm. so I went to this, uh, I went to this showcase in Las Vegas after I graduated because I didn't have any agents and I wanted to keep playing. I had a couple of buddies that were still playing. I was like, man, I wanted to, like, I just felt like because of the ACL injuries that I had, I felt kind of like my college career was, was taken away. And so I wanted to keep playing and uh, I went to this showcase. I played really well. The guy running the showcase was an agent. He's like, we'll get you a job overseas. We'll get you to start playing. And so I ended up playing in a league in Colombia, my first my first uh year in south america but that league didn't start till like it didn't start till like march so like i finished playing ball in march of of 2015 and then in 20 i didn't start again until march of 2016 so i like, practiced that whole oh, year wow. yeah so that's kind of how how it went but there were times where I thought I was like my coach, like or my agent was saying, "Oh, you're gonna you're gonna get signed to this team out in Europe or something," and then it would fall through, and so you just kind of sitting there like, "Oh, like how long can I wait? Maybe it's not gonna happen." And and then we got lucky with uh, getting getting the the job in in Colombia. Then I played really well down there. I had more stats. I had more film, and then and then I came out here to Europe to play. And then since then, and once you play well, once you play well, then you, then like, 
that works in your favor. So that that's always good too. Yeah. Yeah. Once you, once you're a proven commodity, it's kind of like with businesses, like once you, you know, it's really hard to get investors. And then the moment all of a sudden your, your business is making money, everybody's like, Hey, Hey, come over here. You know? Yeah. It's hard to get your foot in the door. And then once you're moving, then, uh, then it's a lot easier, but it's never, it's never easy to get the contracts. Hard work. Right. Yeah. Like to get what you really want. It's not always, it's never easy. And you just, you have such a unique story. Cause I mean, you're what you early thirties, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm 32. And still playing. Cause I'm 36 and I sit there and I go like, Oh man, like I gave, I gave up hockey. Cause it's like hockey, to, like small pro hockey does not uh, pay nearly as well as small pro basketball. Cause I, I think I told you before my roommate from college, was a basketball player from Switzerland and and he went back over there and played um yeah locally and like I was like man like you know that's a pretty decent like wage you know you're not like you know making millions of dollars but like you can no. live um yeah you can live and and a lot of times like out here the, like they pay your rent and they pay sometimes they'll pay for certain meals per day and all that stuff on top of what you're getting paid nice nice so yeah so that's uh, but like never letting the the game like playing for the true love of the game, you know, like talking about where you said Kobe, like people only live so long, you know, and like yeah. like once you once you're done playing, like it's not you can still play for fun, but like the real serious competition's over. Yeah, and and that's like that's what happened to me is I stopped playing. I was I stopped playing when I was twenty nine, and uh, stopped for two years basically because of the same thing you know i was like man okay well like this is okay for now but if i if i want to re- like retire at a decent age i gotta figure out something else and so uh so then i so then i went back to salt lake city started working and uh and then i was working there for, working for two years i'd already heard about bitcoin and uh, then started to like fall down the rabbit hole in 2019. And that's when I started buying Bitcoin. And that like totally changed <laughs> everything. Changed you your know. trajectory? Yes. Changed a lot of things. I think so, more yeah. than understanding money, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think none of us knew what money was before Bitcoin. No. So what did you, what were you, uh, what kind of job were you doing out in Salt Lake city? Were you like in finance or anything like that related to? No, I was doing sales. So when I came back, I was, I was working for this company that was selling bamboo sheets in Costco and all, and all these, all the Costco's across the United States. And so I Mm -hmm. was, I was the guy that was in charge of that. So I would get the sales reps to the Costco's, make sure that, we had the like the products out there and and make sure like talk to the Costco man like the local managers at each Costco and make like that we had everything ready. If there was a problem, they would call me. And uh and I was like, this is this is kind of dumb. I don't like this. Yeah. So then uh I was like, I feel like I can make more money selling myself, like actually selling than than like being a manager of sales. And so then I applied, there's a lot of software companies in Salt Lake city. And so I applied for a job at a software company, got hired. And then, uh, it was at this company called Instructure, um, which does like canvas and stuff. I'm not sure if you're familiar, like 
a lot of like the online classes, online portals are done through Instructure. So that was that was a cool job that I did selling software. And then and then I ended up going to another company called Lucid. Um, and that was another software sales job. And uh, just I was just learning a lot about how to sell, how to close deals. And uh, it wasn't really finance. But what made me study money was uh, when I was coming back and, and I've talked about this a little bit before. I haven't talked about this with you, but when I was coming back, uh, to, to, like, to work and I was like done playing ball, I had an issue because I was like, I, everything that I make, I spend, I was like, I save zero, you know, I like, I'll make money and then I spend it and I'll get it. I'll make a bigger paycheck. And then for some reason I'll always spend it and I'm, and I'm not saving it. But then I didn't know like what to do. Even if I did save it, I wouldn't have known what to do with it. So then I just spend it anyway. You know, I'm like, okay, well, I'll just go on a trip during the summer. And then I spend all the money that I had saved up. So I didn't really understand like what the point was to saving money or how to save money. But I, but like something in the back of my mind was like, dude, you don't want to be 70 years old and working at Jack in the box. Cause you didn't save any money your whole life. Because I remember as a kid, and this is the reason why I say that when I was a kid and, and I lived in the city, uh, just outside of Sacramento, we had this 24 seven Jack in the box, which is fast food restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was 24, seven, And I remember like after high school parties, it'd be 2am and I was like 16 years old. I'd drive to this Jack in the box and I'd order like four tacos there. And uh, there'd be this lady who's like 75 years old working at the Jack in the Box at two in the morning on just like a random Friday night or Saturday night. And I was like, you know, and I would just be coming from a party, but I'm like, man, like, this is crazy that she's working, uh, that she's still working like at 70 years old or 75 years old. And I was like, and I would, I remember that. And I was like, man, I don't ever want to like, to be forced because I don't think it's something that she wanted to do. And it's not hating yeah. on anyone who works the Jack in the box, but like no one wants to be working at a fast food restaurant at two in the morning when they're in their seventies. Like, I don't think that was her dream. And so then it made me think about like, what do I want to do when I get older? And so that just kind of always stuck with me. Cause it was like, there's gotta be more to life than just like working your whole life and then just dying. And then that's it. Like, I'm like, there's gotta be more than just working and then dying. And, and then that, and like you work five days a week or six days a week or whatever. And then, well, then you retire and in your sixties and then you live a couple more years, few more years or whatever. I I just always thought there was something more. Mm -hmm. And so I think I wanted, like, that was always in the back of my mind. Like there's gotta be more to life. And so that's kind of what, uh, like when I was, when I stopped playing, when I was like 28, 29 to, to like really study money, because I was like, okay, I need to figure out this money thing because I got this big issue. So then I started reading books, listening to a ton of podcasts, anything that was about money. And I first started reading this book called, uh, the richest man in Babylon. And, uh, and that just, it's a really easy, short read. And it literally just, the whole basis of the book was, uh, like, you know, spend less money than you make 
save that money and then make that money work harder for you than you did to make that money. And then that like opened my mind. I was like, Oh, okay. I saved the money so I can invest that money. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I was like, it's like, dude, I had to be like, how did I not figure that out before? You know, it's, it's crazy that like that. It Cause we're not that taught long. that. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're not taught that we're not conditioned that like, I don't know if it was like this for you at your sales job, but I, I think I told people before, but um, like when I went from production and movies to like the business side of movies, basically took like two years selling commercial advertising, like uh, TV ads to mm-hmm. kind of, kind of like you said, like understanding how to close deals, all that kind of stuff. I had to yeah. go from like, you know, wearing cargo shorts and being in like the dirt, you know, on a movie set to like, you know, wearing like a shirt and tie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had to like, I had to figure out how to get polished up, but I remember like sales managers and stuff like posting pictures of like, what, what do you want? You know? And I was like, I remember I was like, I don't know. And I, and they were like, Oh, you know, so and over there. He really wants a boat. So that's why I like took a picture of the boat that he wants to buy. And I put it next to his computer, you know, to like incentivize him to sell more so that he yeah. could spend the money. And I was like, I don't know. It doesn't really compute to me. And that's honestly around the time that I like first, I didn't date, I didn't do a deep dive, but I like, I read about Bitcoin enough to be like, okay, this is legit. And then I got sidetracked, you know, like we all did. This episode is brought to you by the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet from Shift Crypto. It is the easiest, most simple to use hardware wallet. You get set up and done in five minutes. And I took me less than five minutes. So if it can take me less than five minutes, it can take anybody less than five minutes to set up. Uh, and it's very simple. comes with a micro SD card that you can use to instantly back up your wallet. Um, and it's made in Switzerland. It's open source. And that includes the firmware on the Bitbox O2 and then the app. Um, and it has a ton of security features that you can find on shiftcrypto.ch slash Bitcoin made simple. And in the Bitcoin only version, it has very limited firmware and only supports Bitcoin. And less code means less attack surface, which improves your security when you're storing Bitcoin. So um, I strongly recommend everybody use it. It's actually really addicting because I keep sending my Bitcoin off of exchanges. And if you've seen any of the noise on the on Twitter, get your Bitcoin off of the exchanges. So get it off the exchanges and make sure it's not getting rehypothecated by any exchange. And to do that, use the Bitbox. O2 hardware wallet, and you can get one for 5% off. If you use our promo code Bitcoin Made Simple, just go to shiftcrypto.ch slash Bitcoin Made Simple and use the promo code at checkout Bitcoin Made Simple for 5% off your Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. Um, so you have an, uh, I, I didn't know this about you. I saw you tweeted maybe a month or so ago. Um, that you it was so talk about the what got you to fall down the bitcoin rabbit hole you mentioned 2019 but i think you mentioned in a tweet that it was uh like the fall of 2019 specifically and was it the reverse repo market that really opened your eyes yeah so so i started studying bitcoin back in 2017 that's like when i kind of stopped well, i stopped playing in 2018 but that whole year i started studying bitcoin and money in general. And, uh, and I was just like looking at all crypto. I was looking at everything, real estate. I just, I didn't know what to do. And uh, then I, then I also read this, the rich dad, poor dad book, because every podcast I listened to was like rich dad, poor dad, rich dad, poor dad. So I was like, 
okay, this book must be legit. Let me read it. I read it in like, oh, I read it in like two days because I was just like, couldn't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it all made sense to me. And I went to like this rich dad, poor dad convention thing. And they were like, don't buy 401ks, you know, and, and, uh, yeah. and then every person, and then every person that I listened to after that was like, all of like these smart people about money were like, don't get a 401k. And I was like, what? Like everyone had been like telling you to get a 401k. And then where I was working at, they had this 401k guy come to the office and all this stuff. And so, and then I would, I would just like would study up on all this stuff. There's a book called 401 chaos. It was actually written by a guy that lives in Salt Lake city. I've met him. And uh, you know, so like all these different things uh, that just like slowly led me down, like the, what is money? path because you're just so ingrained in get a job, get a 401k, like save all your money in your home and all the, and then like you start reading these things and you're like, Oh no, your home isn't an asset. It's a liability because it takes money out of your pocket every month. But if you buy a house and then you rent out the rooms and then you can make money on it every month, then it is an asset, you know? And it's like your car isn't an asset it's a liability because it takes money out of your pocket every month. So like little things like that just like started to flip my mind and open my mind up to like what is money and like how I should think about money. And then like inflation obviously gets thrown in there too, because then you go, okay, well, what am I trying to beat? Like when I invest my money, like what am I measuring against am i measuring against like the s&p 500 am i measuring measuring against myself am i measuring against inflation and so it seemed like well i should at least measure my gains versus inflation because that's like what my money is losing every year so i should at least gain that much back in in anything that i invest in and then and and i didn't ask myself like is inflation necessary you just get like it's just like prices always go up and that's how you look at it instead of instead of like no that the the value of my dollar always gets debased like that's how it should be looked at and so um so at that time then like in 2019 i had been following pomp for a little bit and pomp was like this was when pomp was really talking about like every day or every week he'd be tweeting out like you know, another few, like few billion dollars printed, uh, or the balance sheet of the fed gets expanded and all this stuff. And, and then I started studying what was going on. And then it was like the reverse repo market, like broke. And then all of, and then the fed just started pumping money, just started printing money to cover up what was going on in the reverse repo market, which is pretty, which, I mean, more than anything, it's just an overnight lending market between banks and and that's how like if banks trust the other banks then then the like the interest on these overnight loans will be lower but if the banks don't trust the other banks then they essentially give them like a poor credit rating and these overnight loans will be like the interest on these overnight loans will be a lot higher and uh so this had started happening and at the same time the, the fed started printing money a ton of money and so then i was like I just got to start buying Bitcoin because uh, I've thought about it. I've searched it. I've thought about all these other different things and I wasn't completely orange pilled, but I was like, this is making sense. You know, like this is making a lot of sense. There's a lot of dollars that are getting printed. 
why not buy something that has a tw- like a 21 million cap that like there's no more of it because at that time i didn't know that like nothing else was truly scarce mm-hmm. i just knew that bitcoin was i didn't do like the michael sailor where he like he knew okay nothing's truly yeah. scarce you know like i looked at gold i looked at real estate i looked at you know uh yachts in argentina you know it's like all these different things and it's like i didn't i didn't know enough i didn't know what i didn't know but i did know that bitcoin was truly scarce and so that was good enough for me at the time to start buying bitcoin and then as i studied it i knew like well they could always kind of build more houses and i knew like yeah land you can't make any more land but you can always build on top of land and you can build higher and higher like you can like there's no like into how high you can build on land. So those things that crossed my mind, I didn't understand. I, I kind of realized that with like stocks and bonds, like companies could always make more of that. So, so that was when I was like, okay, this is the time to start buying. And then, and then when I started buying, then you, then I really started to study it and understand it. And then all these pieces like fit together and it's really started to make sense. So that was, that's like what I tell people, right? When you first start buying Bitcoin, you don't, you don't have to understand everything, you know, like when you have a 401k, you don't know what everything that's in your 401k, but you're still buying your 401k. Like you don't know everything that's in there. So you don't have to know, is the government going to ban Bitcoin is in 2140 when there's no more block reward are the are the transaction fees going to suffice for the miners like all these things you don't have to know when you first start buying bitcoin because you're not going to just go like okay i have uh you know $50,000 and i'm and most people don't just put 50,000 all their money in they start buying a little bit of time and then over time they're like then they start studying it things make more sense as you start to use it, as you start to make on-chain transactions, you send the Bitcoin to your cold storage and then you start to feel free. And then you go, okay, this is making a lot more sense. I need to get more of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's honestly, there's like layers to the freedom that you feel and the fun, the cherry on top is whenever you actually put it in cold storage, you're like, Oh, like yes. I am outside the system. i'm completely i'm free Um, it feels it feels really good doing that making the on-chain transaction it's weird to explain how good it feels i know and i i joke about this and i this will either the the ad read for bitbox will either happen before or after this i don't know where i'll splice it in somewhere but people think i'm like i i joke about it in the ad read but like i'm actually addicted to because it's an easy uh hardware wallet to use yeah so like once I got the Bitbox, like I, I used to be so scared of hardware wallets. So it was like, I did it. Okay, it's done. I moved the chunk and I'm not going to do it anymore. Now it's like, if I buy like $100 in Bitcoin, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to get that thing and fire it up. And like, going to send more and it feels good. You're like, oh man, that feels great. I just took another $100 out of the system that's never going back. Like the banks, yeah. I'm never going to use that again. And uh, it's empowering. Um, so uh so that's all right. That's a pretty great uh, introduction to to Bitcoin, and I think that's a good way for everybody to do it. Like, you really have to. I think people get intimidated. Like, you know, there's so much to learn, and like you said, like you don't have to know it all. Just buy enough. Like I tell people, buy enough to make you interested in paying attention to it. You know, whether that's a thousand bucks, a hundred bucks, or fifty bucks, whatever is going to get your attention, 
to be like, oh no, the price went down. Why am I buying this? Like, why did I buy that? And then you yeah. start to read about it more. Yeah. And like, did I, I, I didn't like when I came to Bitcoin Twitter too, I get a Bitcoin Twitter a little bit after I started buying Bitcoin, which was great because like when I first started Bitcoin buying Bitcoin, I was like going insane because I was like, this should be at a million dollars, you know? <laughs> and like, yeah, I'm like, why is it dipping? And I just didn't like, I was just by myself. No one else that I knew was buying Bitcoin. There wasn't anyone that orange pilled me. I did all my research online or on books and like it was that's all how I did it. Like I bought I bought a hardware wallet. I you like did a YouTube search on like a tutorial of how to send it from the exchange to my wallet. Like and I am like I'm not super uh like techie, right? Like I'm not I'm not one of these guys that can like build a computer or or like, I didn't know how to like make your own node. I'm not one of these people that I'm not smart with computers like that. Like, I don't know. I don't write code. I don't do that. I'm a basketball player, you know, like that's, yeah. I've played basketball. And so, and I graduated from college, but I graduated in business administration. So I didn't graduate in finance either. So it was just kind of like, I had a problem and I needed a solution to that problem. So I just started studying what I did was like, you know, there's a lot of people who have these backgrounds in finance and all this stuff. It's like, dude, you can learn anything if you, if you have the discipline to learn it. And if you have the will to learn it, and if you're feeling enough pain, you will learn what you need to learn because that's what was going on with me was I was feeling the pain of feeling broke all the time. And I was like, dude, I don't want to feel broke anymore. So I need to figure out how to get this money thing right. Because it's like, okay, why am I working so hard every day of my life for money? But yeah, I don't know how to use it. And I don't know how to, I don't know like how to save it. And I don't know how to make it multiply. So if I don't know how to use the stuff that I am working for, why am I working for it? That was like my question. And then I need to figure out, okay, now that I know what I'm, what I like, what money is, now I need to figure out where's the best place to put my money. Where's the best place to put my wealth. So with me, it took me some time to figure out financial terms. That was like, I have a financial background because I did it by myself. Like I didn't study it anywhere. Like I would turn on CNBC and I would have it in the background all day long. And when they would talk about something that I didn't know about, I'd Google search it. And then I would read it. If I didn't understand it, then I'd go to YouTube and I would watch like a 15 minute video on it. Then I'd watch, a listen to a podcast. The same thing. If they would say a word that I didn't understand, I would Google it. If I, if I didn't do the job, then I'd watch a YouTube video. And it was just like over and over and over again until I could understand the financial words, because all these financial words, I had no idea what they meant. And I just mm -hmm. felt like I was outside of their system. And so I was like, I need to understand what these words mean so I can understand what money is. And, and so that's what put me on that, on that journey of learning about money. And, uh, and that's how I kind of got my financial background, which is awesome because we have the internet with the internet, you can learn anything nowadays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not a finance person at all. And, um, and then whenever I was going down the rabbit hole and learning and bought a little bit. <laughs> I told uh, I told Preston this and, um, you know, I've told people this a lot that 
you know, like you said, you have to Google it and everything. But like, I remember Preston was on, um, on Peter McCormick's podcast and the, it was the first time I ever heard the term quantitative easing. And I was like cutting the grass and I had bought, I had bought a little bit of Bitcoin and started putting more in and more in. Um, and like, I literally, when he mentioned quantitative easing, I like shut the lawnmower off and started Googling on my phone immediately. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God oh my God, you know, like, yes. oh, this has been happening and nobody knows about it, you know? Like, yes. And it's like, so it's just, I, I, I'm, I think I find that a very uh, common trait amongst Bitcoiners is like a lot of people, if they don't understand something, they just get intimidated and like walk away. But like once you kind of go to Bitcoin and like it's something that you'll never fully understand. So you're like comfortable with being in a situation where you don't know everything. And which, by the way, that's also a way to spot anyone that's scamming or just trying to get their get their cloud up as if they act like they know everything. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it, you know, just Google, Google, Google. And like and Jeff, Jeff Booth talks about it, you know, all the time where he says, like, education is so cheap now. Like it used to yes. cost so much money and it's free. Like all this information's out there. Just look for it. Yeah. And, and when you study when you study money you just naturally inherently you start to make more you start to save more and then one day you're just like whoa i don't feel like as broke as yeah. I, I actually feel like somewhat secure with my wealth and my money where before it's like if you don't know about a topic how can you feel secure about it like how can you feel sure about it like if i don't know the rules to the game of basketball like how can i go play the game like you can't like you're not you're going to be out there you're going to be running around not knowing what you're doing and that's the same way i felt with money is i didn't understand the rules to money and there's rules to everything in life that like there's with every action there's a reaction and with with every decision you make there's a consequence and so and that's truth so with money it's the same way if you put yourself in a position to to go with the flow of the stream then you're going to win. But if you're just hopping in and out and you don't know what you're doing, you're jumping around the stream, you're jumping, you're, you're going against the flow, then you're going to end up somewhere far away from your goal and you're going to have no idea why. And so the first thing for me was, okay, I need to figure out what the rules are to the game of money. And, uh, and then once I started to figure that out, then everything started to make a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the meme factory it's a kind of amazing that we that we went we've gone for a while and haven't even talked about uh memes really <laughs> um so so you mentioned your uh your orange flat top uh got you you know a lot of attention got you into the trash talking um and maybe that's where your meme origin happened but how did that happen like you're on bitcoin twitter and you just started you know getting into photoshop and making stuff dude i so i got into bitcoin twitter I don't even remember when or how it happened because I like I made one of my buddies made my Twitter for me back in like 2013 or something or 2014 when I was in college. He was like, you need to get a Twitter. I was like, dude, what am I going to use a Twitter for? And he made one for me and he's like, here's your Twitter and here's your password. So then I was like, well, I guess I have a Twitter now because I was in college too, playing ball and people start to follow you like, okay, well, I guess I'll use this. And then, um, I used it kind of throughout college. And then once I got done with college and I stopped using it and then, uh, so I didn't use it for like 
four years or so, three or four years. And then, um, and then recently with Bitcoin, it was probably just because I think one of the first people that I heard about with Bitcoin was Pomp because he would, he would be on CNBC talking about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So I think I was looking He's for great like, top, top of the funnel. Yes. Yeah. Once you understand a little bit more, then you're like, ah, come on, dude. Like, yeah, exactly. He, but he's got, and I get it. Like he's got his investments in, in a lot of altcoin stuff. So it's like, whatever, dude. But yep. he was good for me uh, when I needed it. And so like, it's hard to be, it's hard to hate someone who, who helped you along your path, even if they may not, may not, like they're not in the same, you don't look at them the same way. It's still hard for me to hate a guy like Pomp um, purely because if it like he did give me a lot of knowledge that I needed. Mm -hmm. So um, so either way, he would be on CNBC from time to time. And that's what I was watching every day. And most people would have just terrible takes about Bitcoin. And I'm like, they don't even know what they're talking about with Bitcoin. And that's mm -hmm. when I started to get like less trust for Bitcoin or for not Bitcoin, but for like like the mainstream media, because I was like, these guys are supposed to be like professionals and experts, and they have no idea what they're talking about with Bitcoin. And then Pomp started talking about it. And so I think I started following him on Twitter. And then from there, um, then I would like, I would start to look for more information about Bitcoin on Twitter. So if someone was talking about it and I thought they said some good things, then I'd start following them. And then naturally, my whole life, I've just been drawn to funny people. Uh, mm. I think a lot of people are just drawn to funny people. And so uh, uh, I like if someone's funny, and then I like them right off the bat. And uh, one of those people was Greg Zadge. And I remember like he would be he would be just like in replies and like six or seven comments in, you know, and I'd be like, dude, this guy's just dropping funny comments and replies, but he's dropping them like where no one's even seeing them. And I'm like, that's truly funny because like you can be funny because you know, you're going to get like a thousand retweets, but when you're funny and you know, it's going to get like two likes. I'm like, this is good stuff. So then I followed him and then he followed me back. I think, I don't know how it was. And then like, I started seeing other guys like Labrahoddle, and uh pedro who goes by retweet and chair force and all these dudes rd all the guys in the meme factory i met yellow later on and and uh you know just mtc btc plan marcus all those guys uh so what happened was uh like labra huddle would he would just make memes all day every day like he still does his memes are like not very good quality but they're funny so mm -hmm. like some people have really quality memes like chair force is going to give you a quality meme labrador is going to give you a funny meme that's going to be bad qualities you know but that's just mm -hmm. how he works that's part of the meme and so uh so labrador he would always like meme something like oh he would be there was this one time where he would just be like uh you know pedro did you stack sats today and then pedro would be like of course, you know, and then, and then Labra would be like, send a picture of like a uh, Instagram model and be like IG models when Pedro stacks sets, you know, and then like mm -hmm. he would do that. He was doing that like every day. And I was hoping he would do that to me one time. I was just said this in his spaces the other day. I was like, I was hoping that he was going to ask me and he never did. 
And, uh, and so that always made me sad. And he still has never done that. So <laughs> he might never at this point. Yeah, it might never. Yeah. I saw him do that tweet the other day and I was like, oh, this is back. You know, I'm like, maybe it'll get me, but he still hasn't. Um, but either way, I really like I really like the memers because I've always thought I've always been drawn to funny people. And I've always thought like comedians are have like some of the smartest people that we have in the world. Because they can take any situation and they can make it like light. They can they can make it funny. They can make it interesting. They can tell a story from beginning to end. They can captivate you, draw you in, make you laugh, make you feel these emotions. And then like you have to be smart to do that. Like you aren't just funny and stupid. And so most of the most of the comedians that I've ever like like a Dave Chappelle, I'm like he's one of the smartest guys. Oh yeah. And so I looked at the memers like. These memers are funny. They understand Bitcoin and they're smart. So I was like, I like these guys. Uh, and then, um, and then one time, I like I made some statement, and Labra was like, "Oh, make that a meme," you know. And mm-hmm. I had no idea. Like I knew him from his profile picture, but I didn't know who. I didn't know who he was, and so I was like a little nervous, you know. And I made a meme. And it was pretty good, actually. And then he made a meme, and the same meme, but he sent it to me, and it was worse quality, just like I was saying. Like <laughs> memes aren't that great quality, but they're funny. And uh, and so, but sometimes he has good quality memes, so not always. But he, and then I like, I was like, ah, oh, I didn't know him that well, so I didn't want to offend him. So I sent out his meme, and I kept my meme. And I was like, ah, oh, man, I wish I would have sent out my meme, you know. And and then like. But it was good. And then I got to know him. And then I was like, oh, he would have not cared if I would have sent out my own meme. Like, you yeah. just don't realize, like, when you're first getting the Bitcoin Twitter, you think like, oh, there's all this guy gets all this engagement. This guy, like, you think he's really popular. Like, he, they almost feel somewhat like, like, uh, out of reach to you. And then, and then you just start talking and you, like, you share your opinion, you share some of your memes. And then, uh, and then one day people feel like that way to you. And you're like, no, nah, I'm just a regular dude like who likes Bitcoin and who likes freedom. So uh, that's just kind of how I got in the memes. And then we did, we all got into like a little group, sending memes back and forth to each other, hating on each other, clowning on each other, joking. And then, uh, and then Chairforce came up with the idea for the laser ray to 100K. And then that's uh, that's when we got a little bit more notoriety because then everyone started putting lasers on their pictures and then uh, we kind of started that. So that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think now with uh, the laser ray? Do you think it's till 100K or just forever? It's uh, right now it's laser eyes to fiat dies. That's the that's the new thing. So I like that. I like I'm not that. taking my lasers off at 100K. I don't care if you do or if anyone else does, but I, I'm kind of. I'm I'm focused in now. I'm stuck with the laser eyes. My my idea is it's early still with Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin's winning hard, uh, but just like in basketball, like you can be winning in the first quarter or second quarter or third quarter, but there's always come from behind wins. So recently, I've been really uh, like focused on pushing harder, like. Uh, trying to create more educational content for people, trying to talk to more people, 
trying to orange pill people, trying to get like what I say more concise because Bitcoin's winning and everyone can tell, but that doesn't mean, I don't think it's won. And I think I've tweeted out. Celebrate, yeah. Yeah, I think I've even tweeted out, oh, like Bitcoin won or whatever, but it hasn't. uh, It hasn't won yet. Like there's still things that I think it's like an inevitable thing, but I would rather have the transition to Bitcoin be like a softer landing than to be this painful hyperinflation of the dollar, which I think is going to happen. But like if there's most people have made this move to Bitcoin sooner, then it won't be as painful. So that's what I'm trying to push for. Obviously, I know most people won't come to Bitcoin because they're studying quantitative easing. They're not studying inflation. They're going to come to Bitcoin because they go to the grocery store and the groceries are two times the price. Then they go back the next week and it's three times the price. And then they go back the next week and it's five times what it was. And then they go, okay, what's going on? Like, I can't even afford to live. And then they, and then they search for an alternative. And so that, that's like why I'm trying my hardest right now to like really push a lot of good content out there. I love that you have this podcast too, because just the more things that people can hear, the more touch points, it's like, you don't, most people don't buy Bitcoin the first time they hear about it. Um, They think it's a scam, uh, which is totally a fair point to think about something like Bitcoin Mm -hmm. because you look at the altcoins and that's how they are. They are scams. And so uh, it's just, it's hard to wrap your mind around what Bitcoin is right off the bat. So uh, I try to do as much as I can uh, because I don't want to come from behind wind from the state. I don't want to end up in some dystopian world where we're using CBDCs and uh, we don't have our freedom and we're controlled by the state through our money. And I think Bitcoin is the only, the only answer to freedom in the future. And so that's why I'm trying to push Bitcoin and Bitcoin education as hard as I can in my little sphere that I cover. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's important for all of us to do because uh, it's going to create a better future for the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I I like that analogy of the, you know, Bitcoin is winning, but you got to finish the game out, you know? you got to finish strong and like i remember coaches saying that you know like when we'd have a lead you got to finish strong finish strong like usually coaches are actually more like maniacs whenever you're winning and they want to like you know they're just on you like gotta finish gotta finish and um when i was i don't know if you ever noticed this but i love watching no matter what sport it is i love watching the championship and i love the end like when you know the one team's gonna win or like, you know, like they're winning by a decent amount. Like if it's a close game, that's just fun to watch just for the, the sake of watching. But yeah. like if, if say like in basketball or in hockey, if somebody's got a two goal lead and like they're yeah. going to win the Stanley Cup in basketball, if they've got like a 10 point lead, an eight point lead, it's still close enough where it could fall off. But it's fun to watch that championship team close it out. Yes. You know, like they finish so strong. A great example would be Aaron Donald in the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, you know, like which, by the way, he's from Pittsburgh. So shout out to Aaron, uh, <laughs> a fellow a fellow Pittsburgher. Um, we got to get him into Bitcoin, huh? Yeah, I know he's out. He's here right now. Um, and uh, and I used to live closer where he lived, but uh, but, but I moved. But um, I should I should work on that because there's he's a, he'd be a good one. 
but he, yeah, he finished strong in the Super Bowl. You know, it was like he just beast mode, uh, like blew through the line and you know, yeah. and and fin- and put the cap on the game. So that's what we got to do with Bitcoin. We gotta we gotta finish strong. Um, well, uh, before I let you go, so I'm like one of those people. You you know Andy Dwyer or Andy, yeah, Andy Dwyer from uh, Parks and Rec. At the one episode, he says he tells Ron Swanson all the things that he has never told anyone, and he's like. I don't know who Al Gore is. And at this point I'm too embarrassed to ask. <laughs> um, that's how I feel about like half of the memes out there. So I was wondering if oh, you yeah, could help yeah. me and yes. other Bitcoiners. So yeah. F you, Greg, I understand what it means yeah. for Greg's edge. Um, but where did that come from? Like all of a sudden I just started people saying F you, Greg to Greg. So like, what's the, do you know the origin of that? So first of all, Greg is a genius and people don't believe me, but he is. Uh, I think chair force started saying it in the chat. A lot of the, a lot of the things that chair force does ends up going viral. He's, <laughs> he's a smart dude. And uh, so we would just start saying it in the chat. It was just like, F you, Greg, F you, Greg. Right. And, but Greg deserves it because a lot of times he'll press your buttons and he's looking for that. So, yeah. Uh, so then he'll start doing that to get the F you Greg. Then, uh, then it just kind of caught on because like a lot of times the memes that we do in our chat will like leak out onto Bitcoin Twitter. Cause we're just pushing it so much. And I don't know, I don't know why, but, uh, it's like, sometimes I'm like, I swear autism is contagious because <laughs> like, like people will just say it enough and then everyone will start saying it. I'm like, what's going on right now? But uh, yeah, it's just because Greg, he can be, uh, he can test your patience sometimes, but in a good way. And so it's like, you know, you're just like busting, busting balls with your friends. Right. And you just like, dude, F you, you know, but it's just like a fun way. So, and then he just kind of ran with it. And then like, and people do polls instead of see results. Now we just say like, F you Greg. So that's like, that's kind of what it's become is like, now it's like, what dude, you're putting C results. You should have just put like F you Greg in your poll, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. That's what, I mean, and I even put that in the, in the, um, the March madness thing I did. Yeah. I made it instead. I was like, Oh, I can put Greg's edge. I'm going to put F you Greg. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even, I didn't even know what it was about. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. And then what, what about the potato? Like, so, all of a sudden I see potatoes are a thing um, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I don't know, like Greg's edge and potatoes. It kind of makes sense, I guess. Like, you know, like if there was a potato of the Bitcoin world, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know what, where did it come from? This also, so this came from yellow, yellow called Greg a potato because I don't know if it was because he said that Greg looks like a potato. <laughs> I think it was both. Like Greg kind of like has the body of a potato and then also that uh, because like when we were first getting the meme factory, it was on the meme factory podcast. So when we were first doing it, you know, when you're first doing podcasts, like you, like when you started this one up, right. Like mm-hmm. you don't have everything down. You think, no. like, Oh, it's going to be easy. And then you're like, okay, I got to do the OBS. You got to do a bunch of stuff has to all work. And like with our podcast, we'll have, like the whole meme factory will be on there plus a guest. So you sometimes you have like 10 people on there. And so a lot of times someone won't have audio or Greg won't have audio. And so then yellow be like, Oh, you potato, like you potatoed it, you know? So it's just kind of, and then his thing. 
Yeah, and then people like that. And so then it just like, again, it just caught on and it has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Uh, but then someone was like, is Greg going to sign sign potatoes at the Bitcoin conference? And so then people bought potatoes when we did the meme factory panel. And then, uh, and then he signed some potatoes afterwards. So that was fun. You know what he needs to do is come out next time at a conference and uh, have like one of those like uh, potato guns and uh, yeah. <laughs> start firing potatoes. Launching them. Yeah. You know, it'd be a good idea actually if it was like a carnival type thing and you could win a prize if you shoot a potato gun at Greg's at Greg's face. Yeah. And, like, hit, <laughs> and hit his face as like the bullseye or something, you know? Yeah. That uh, That's something that I'll have to, I'll have to file that away because I want to start a lightning network. Uh, or conference. like dunk. Or like dunk them in the like yes. in the water and you have to shoot the target or something with a potato or throw a potato at the target. You know, dunk them in the water. That'll be perfect. Yeah, it's funny. I, I'll have, um, I think I DM'd with him and he was like, hey, let's, you know, link up over the summer because I wanted to bring him on too. Um, yeah. And uh, But whenever I went to look him up on LinkedIn or maybe he followed me on LinkedIn or whatever, I'm like, oh my God, he went to pit. <laughs> and it was like, close to the same time i did but he was i think he's a little bit older than me and uh and i i like messaged him i said i didn't know you went to pit and he's like yeah i got i flunked out twice <laughs> i didn't even know that you said that, i didn't even know that he flunked out twice a pit and he was yeah. just like and so i said i was like we were robbed of our chance to like you know just like absolutely destroy the university of pittsburgh uh, yeah together Cause I mean, even if he's older than me, like he could have been that dude that was like 27 and like still in college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what, what's that guy doing here? Like he's trying to be like Ryan Reynolds, but not. Yeah. Uh, so, um, oh, and, and then one last thing. So, I mean, what's your initial thoughts? This will air next week. So it'll probably be old news by then, but uh, your initial thoughts on Elon taking over Twitter. Do you think we're going to have some freedom here? As long as my, my stipulation is no KYC, authentication it, I'm, I'm cool with authenticating humans yeah. over bots but no kyc so I, I i have like two different thoughts about elon buying twitter i think uh i think it could be really good or it could be bad right i think it could be good in the fact that it, like maybe he'll do something about the bots because the bots are insane right now like you see you like reply to someone or you tweet and like immediately you have five bot replies on under your tweet when you tweet it's crazy or you see someone like preston fish or michael saylor tweet they'll have like 30 bots immediately under their tweet all scamming and so it's like how do you how do you stop that and i, and I like like the orange check thing that michael saylor has where you like you basically just escrow ten dollars of bitcoin on lightning and then so that way if if you end up being a bot well now you've lost that and so if now you can't do all these scammer bots because if you do those scammer bots then it's going to cost you a ton of money and you're going to lose that money so i like that idea mm -hmm. um i don't know if elon musk is going to do that what i and i think obviously elon musk idea was free speech that was his biggest thing like you look at uh you know with what happened with uh with like covid stuff and and like doctors getting uh getting censored. censored or getting banned from twitter because because of their solutions 
instead of using, you know, what this what the mainstream media solutions were. And I don't want to say too many words because like right now yeah. I feel like censored because I'm like, I don't, I don't want your show to get shut down or something because of something I say. But like, oh, you I don't care. go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, those type of things are even Trump getting getting banned. And I'm not really a Trump fan. I'm not really a political guy. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care about Trump or Biden, but it's just like I don't think that he should have been censored either. Like, I think I think you should be allowed to say whatever you say. And if you're stupid and if you cause issues, well, then you should also receive like the penalties of the law, if that's how far it goes, or people should be allowed to call you stupid and call you dumb for your dumb ideas. But maybe you can have an argument that actually makes sense. And then people are like, oh, okay, maybe this isn't as dumb as what we thought. Because imagine, uh, imagine it like the Wright brothers uh, saying, oh, we found a way to fly. And people are like, no, there's no way to fly. That's witchcraft. Yeah, like this is misinformation you're banned from speaking again, ever again. It's like, okay. Or any technology, like any technology that's ever happened has always been groundbreaking. So to say anything that's not in the Overton window or anything that's outside of the, of the mainstream viewpoint, you can't say anymore. Well, that's basically saying, okay, we're done with, we're done with inventing new things. We're done with technology. We've invented everything that can be invented. And there's never there's going to be no more progress in the world. It's kind of like a dystopian nihilistic view on the world. So freedom of speech is super important, especially in a platform like Twitter, because it's kind of like this open forum online where you can go, which you don't have too many of those online. It's not like people all go to one place to, to speak freely besides a place like a Twitter or an Instagram or a Facebook, but Twitter is like the best one because you can quote tweet, you can retweet, you can meme, you can do a ton of things. And so I, I like how that the platform is. So if Elon Musk comes in and he just goes, okay, like you are allowed to say what you want to say, you're not going to get banned, but people can call you an idiot for saying what you say. Like that should also be part of free speech. Yeah. Like if you're going to say something, I can all, I can call you an idiot, whether you're right or wrong. I can call you now. Someone else can call me an idiot for calling you an idiot, but like that should still be allowed. Um, and so if, if that's what happens, I think that'll be great for Twitter. And I think it'd be great for, for the world. But if, if the only thing that I worry about is it's like, this is just centralizing into one person, right? Yeah. It's centralizing into Elon Musk. So that's a lot of power for one man. He, he, he owns Tesla. He owns SpaceX. He owns Twitter. It's like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of different things that one dude can own. And, and if that's like, you just, you just don't know like what happens if he does, what happens if he buys it now in good faith but in three years from now he gets compromised by some way you know so it's so that's just kind of how i look at it it's it's all it's a we talk about decentralization that's centralizing it into elon musk right and not to say that it was decentralized before because more than anything twitter probably was already centralized even though it was public uh but you're just going from one centralized thing to another centralized thing and you're hoping that this centralized thing is better than the other centralized thing. So that's, that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like the only, the, the funny thing is the, the, the only shred of decentralization Twitter had before was like you said, the being public. Yeah. And that I ironically is the one thing that took it down, I think. 
yeah the public pressure of people that own shares and we're like no like what do you mean you're gonna give me a huge return like you can't say no to that like it's a yeah it's interesting um well dude sean i'll let you go i don't want to don't want to take a time too much of your time i really appreciate you coming on um but tell people where they can follow you and, and find you in your show and people probably think that like all of us bitcoin podcasts are like competing against each other no. and i think it's a complete opposite um because we like support each other and when he, like i love seeing new podcasts come up and and everybody you know like i think it's awesome whenever i see somebody get a sponsor i'm like instead of me being like oh god i wish that was with me i'm like <laughs> yeah like go for it you know like we need this to get bigger because it's it's gonna become such a bigger thing and we don't have enough voices yet so um, i agree like uh there's a ton of like crypto podcasts out there but there's not many bitcoin only especially on youtube and so i think that's been one of my goals is to add another bitcoin only thing and i think with with meme factory like that's our goal is to kind of grow that our youtube channel as a bitcoin only channel to be able to say what we want to say and not have to like have to rely on money from these crypto vcs and so it's mm-hmm. great to see your podcast ones like simply bitcoin you got big, you know, big Bitcoin kindergarten, those type of ones that are, that are all Bitcoin only focused. And I think like, I totally agree as we, as Bitcoin starts to grow, as more people realize the scams that are in the altcoins and, and the biggest scam is just the surveillance that, that can happen. You know, I think that's what people don't like. You may not get scammed out of your wealth, but you will get scammed into surveillance in, in any coin besides Bitcoin. So yeah, uh, the, our podcast, we have, it's the meme factory, uh, the meme factory podcast. It's on, uh, it's on YouTube. I also do Bitcoiners guide, which is under, it's still under the meme factory podcast channel with plan Marcus. We do that once a week and then we do the live streams we have safety coming on this week. So that'd be a lot of fun. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, and then I'm at big Sean Harris on Twitter and, uh, that's where you can find me. Uh, well, thanks for coming on, Sean. I, I really appreciate it. And I look forward to doing it again. Yeah. Thanks, Corey. Thanks. It's awesome. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and thanks again to our sponsor, the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet from Shift Crypto. I will catch you guys next time.